Church, I am pretty pumped about this next sermon series because I know the reality is, is in this room, we have people who have just been followers of Jesus for a very short amount of time. We have people who have been followers of Jesus for 60 years, you know, and everything in between. And, and so oftentimes what happens, you place your faith in Jesus and it's kind of like, and now what? Like, what, what am I supposed to do now? This series is a series that's going to push us all back to the Word of God, to say, let's go back to the Word of God for all of our teaching, for all of our truth. It's going to be a phenomenal series. I'm really excited about it. Now, it is Easter, and so today we celebrate a risen Savior. And you know what? We could get on an airplane right now, and we could go to Jerusalem, and we could see the tomb where Jesus was put to rest, but there's no body left in there, is there? Because he is a risen Savior. He has overcome sin and death and Satan, and he has risen. So we're excited about this morning. My name is Billy Creech, and I'm your campus pastor, and there's there's really two things that really, really excite me today. Number one, I'm really excited about the fact to, um, to be here to celebrate Easter with you. And I just want you to know I don't take that lightly. The second thing I'm excited about is it was an Easter morning more than 20 years ago that I gave my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and it radically changed everything for me. And I know this morning might be that morning for you. Right? It was one of those days that everything changed. Now, before I go any further, I do want to point something out. We know it's cozy in here. Like, we're aware of that. On Good Friday at the 5.30 service, we actually had to set chairs up in the middle of the aisle. All the kids had to sit on the, the laps of adults. Yesterday, or yesterday, last week, during the 10 o'clock service, we had chairs sitting up here at the corner, like, just to be able to try to get everyone. So, just so you know, Woodside Bible Church is aware that things, I use cozy because that sounds like family, but it's kind of crowded, right? Like, it's pretty <laughs> packed. Like, when you're sitting just... I'm not going to say cheek to cheek. I'll just say side to side with people. Like it's just, it just gets crowded. Like it just, it just does. And so I want you to have an update on what's going on. We're in a building process right now. The elders of Woodside Bible Church have released funds for us to be able to go through our due diligence. When you're leaving today, just to the left of the doors, you're going to see some building plans. What those plans are, they're basically plans that say, okay, if we were going to build something, what might that look like? They're preliminary drawings. That's what that is. It's not a deep dive to say to the penny, what's this thing going to cost? And so we need to do our due diligence. We need to take six to nine months to make sure we all stay together. And as your pastor, that's important to me. I want us to stay together through this process I don't want to see one single penny wasted. I want to make sure that everything counts that we're spending on this new facility. We do need more space, but we need to do it right. And so we're going to take six to nine months worth of due diligence. That means there's no building happening for six to nine months. There's no shovel in the ground during that time period. And then a shovel will go into the ground, and we will start. And it'll take six to nine more months. All that to say, guys, we got a year, two, year and a half of being cozy. Like that's what that means. It's going to be, it's going to be a season, but I promise to keep you updated as we work through the process. But I do want to get to the big stuff, which is Easter. Throughout the Bible, we see a couple of different um, updates on that first Easter morning, right? We see scripture talk about that first resurrection day, but I want us to to go to the book of Mark this morning because we spent a few months in the book of Mark. I want us to look at Mark's account of the resurrection. So let's go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Now, anytime you go to the Bible and you read anything, you always need to ask yourself, who's writing? Who are they writing to? And what's their purpose? 
It doesn't matter what it is that you're reading in Scripture. Always ask that. And I'm like you. I like to create the little verse images on my Bible app. You know, I like those little verse images. And I've got some pictures around the house with just a single line of Scripture written down. That's good and great. But you should always ask yourself, who wrote that? Like, who was it that originally wrote it? Who were they writing that thing to? And what's the purpose of all of it? For Mark, Mark is crystal clear. He wants us to understand the good news. You can look at Mark 1.1. He starts out by saying, here's who Jesus is. And throughout his entire book, he continues to bring up this question of, here's who Jesus is, so what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? And my prayer, just so you know, for weeks, for this day, has been the big idea. The big idea this morning is this. Let Jesus be your salvation. Let Jesus be your salvation. Now, I know for some of you, you're kind of new to, or maybe you're not even new to church. Maybe it's just you, you haven't been to church in a long time. So you're new-ish, right, of coming back. And some of you, you're not new. You've been coming to church a long time. But what you do is when the guy gets up to preach, you check out right here, right? Like you start to daydream, and you're looking at all those little geometric shapes behind me, all those squares, and you just start, I know, like you get glassy-eyed, so I busted you. And so if that's you, if you're going, I don't know how to let Jesus be my salvation. Pastor, I don't even know what that means. How am I supposed to let Jesus be my salvation? There's just going to be two points to show you how today, just two. The first point is this. You need to let Jesus remove the obstacles that keep you from him. Let Jesus remove the obstacles. Let's go to the Word of God. Look what it says. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So this was Sunday morning. Jesus went into the tomb on Friday afternoon, Friday evening. He stayed there the rest of Friday, all of Saturday. This is now the third day of the week. And for the followers of Jesus, this was a horrific time. This was a scary time, really because one of the followers of Jesus had betrayed him. Right? Judas had betrayed Jesus. And then the, the Jewish religious elite... They had this mock trial with Jesus. Then Jesus went to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who was a coward. He said, I find no fault in this man, but I'm going to wash my hands of this. I'm going to send him on. I'm not going to stop. And it's in that place that we find that Jesus is beaten within an inch of his life. He's mocked. And then finally, he's crucified, which is the worst execution known to man at the time. Because of how late it was in the day, they didn't have time to properly bury Jesus. You see, a proper burial would have been to take the body and then to anoint the body. This would have been the Jewish practice. The Egyptians, they would have embalmed, right, which is a whole different process. But anointing is where you have a ceremonial cleansing. It's this cleansing with oils and spices where they would show their love and devotion as they would cleanse the body. And then they would wrap the body after that. But they didn't have time for that. Because the Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday. But you see, they say our Saturday starts with the sunset the day before. So as Jesus is on the cross and the sun is starting to set, they have to hurry. They don't have time to do anything else. And they take the body of Jesus and they place it into the tomb of this rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. They didn't have time for anything 
else. Now, Mark tells us in his gospel in verse number two that there's a group of women. This is kind of important for us, right? And I don't know why in church we always seem to skip over that part, but it's not James who shows up. It's not John. It's not Peter. It's not Andrew. It's not Thomas. It's not any of the disciples who show up. It's this, this group of women. This group, as the disciples are afraid and they're locked up in the, this room, right? They've hold themselves up. They're not coming out. These women show incredible bravery as they say, we want to show our love and devotion to Jesus, no matter the cost, knowing what it could cost them along the way. And yet, that's not really what makes them nervous. We see that they get up early. First thing in the morning is what verse 2 tells us. I know about early. We had a 7 a.m. service, right? I'm all about the early. When you're getting up in the fours, that's early, right? And, and so they got up early in the morning, and they started on the way. And as they're on the way, they start talking to one another. They get a little bit anxious. They get a little bit nervous because they're like, whoa, we forgot about the rock. There's a stone. You see what they would have done? They placed Jesus in the tomb. And when they placed Jesus in the tomb, they didn't have time to prepare anything. They placed a guard in the front to keep anyone from stealing the body. And then there was this large stone that was placed in front of the tomb. This stone would have been five to six feet in diameter. Five to six foot in diameter stone. That's like one and a half to two tons. That's a big stone. Biblical archaeologists today, they're starting to debate the shape of the stone. It's, it's kind of intriguing if you study it. Because they're like, you know, there's one that looks... A stone that looks kind of like a spike, and like the pointy end of the spike would have gone into the hole of the tomb to seal it. You know, some are saying that, but the Bible says rolled away. So to me, it's the disc shape. It has to be the disc shape because it says rolled away. And to me, how are you going to roll a thing that looks like a spike? Like that just, to me, it's a silly argument. Anyway, the disc shape, how it worked, church, is the disc was there, right? The disc shape stone was there, and there was a wedge holding the stone into place. So once the body was placed in place and they moved, they could remove the wedge, and then the stone would roll like into this trough type. So there was like a it's tro- I don't even know if that's a Michigan word or if that's a southern word, but like a, like a ditch, like a groove. Like, it's like a trough, right? So they remove the wedge, and it just rolls down into place. Very carefully, they roll it down into place. You could move the stone one and a half to two times. You have to have some strong men. And essentially what they would do is they would roll it a little bit, and then they'd stick the wedge there, and they'd roll it a little bit, and then stick the wedge. You see what they do? Roll it a little bit, stick the wedge until they've got the stone rolled out of the way these women are walking along going, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to get this stone? Like they, they're, they're anxious about that. We want to show our love and devotion to Jesus, but this obstacle is very real and it's very there. Maybe you know what that's like. Because maybe for you, you want to show your love to Jesus. You, you want to trust the Lord, but you're going, yeah, there's some obstacles in my life though. There's some very large stones in my life, and I'm just not sure what to do about it. I'd love to show my love and devotion to Jesus. I I just don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get this stone out of the way. I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. And if that's you, I want you to pay real close attention to verse number four. Look at verse four in your Bible. This is so cool. What we see is they finally show up, and when they show up, this thing that's been stressing them out, this very large stone, it had already been rolled away. Now, I love how Matthew says it. Matthew gives his account. Here's what he says. This is Matthew 28, verse two. It says, and behold, there was a great earthquake 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Which to me is just like this smart aleck angel, just like sitting on the stone like what? That wasn't that bad. Like why were we all freaked out? You know, it wasn't, wasn't that hard at all. And yet that's what we do, isn't it? We get freaked out. We get anxious. We get worried about the stones in our life. God's the one who removed the stone to begin with. The women didn't have to do anything. The stone was already rolled away. For you, maybe. The reality is you're saying, I would love to see Jesus today, but I can't say, I don't have eyes of faith right now. You don't understand some of the junk I've been through. I'd love to see. I just can't say. I want you to know he can open your eyes today. And maybe you're here and you're going, Pastor, you just don't understand. I'm kind of anxious because I've done some stuff in my life. I've said some things. I've thought some things. I, I'm, I get that we're called to be holy, but I don't, I'm not I'm not good. Like I've done some messed up things. And so maybe for you, you're at that place of saying, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to trust him because I've messed up and I just don't know that he could love someone like me. You know what Romans 5, 8 says? It says, even while we were still sinners, he loved us. He died for us. Even while we were still sinners. And I want you to know something, that fear that you have, he's already rolled away the stone. It's already done. It's already done. And maybe for you, you're saying, no, my thing is, I doubt the whole validity of Christianity to begin with, including the resurrection. Like, I just need to see some evidence. If I could see some evidence, then it'd be okay. Listen, next week, we're starting a series, and we're going to talk about the Word of God. And you're going to love the start of this series, because I begin with talking about the historical significance of this Bible. And I'm going to talk about how do we know that it's true? How can you trust that it's true? What evidence is there that it's true? That's how we're going to start the whole series. You are going to absolutely love it. But the reality is, let's be real. Let's be real. If I took the whole rest of the day until two o'clock this afternoon and just addressed the evidence that exists for the resurrection, it still wouldn't be enough for you. You know how I know that? Because later on what we find is we find there's no longer 12 disciples. There's 11 disciples hiding out. There's one who has spent three years with Jesus, at least three years with Jesus. And when he hears that Jesus is alive, you know what he says? Thomas says, unless I see the nailed scarred hands, unless I put my hand in the wound on his side, I'm I'm not going to believe He was so skeptical, but this is so cool. Even in that place, the stone can be rolled away. I don't know what doubts, I don't know what struggles you've had, but I do want you to know that he can overcome that today in your life. I want you to know that the stone can be rolled away in your life today, which brings us to the second point. The second point, if we want Jesus to overthrow our lives, is we need to let Jesus turn our fear to faith by his resurrection. Turn our fear to faith. Look back at your Bible, starting in verse 5. The word says this. It says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. 
So the stone's been rolled away, right? The stone's been rolled away, and they walk right in. And when they walk in, they are freaked out. You know why they're freaked out? Alarmed is what the Bible says. They're freaked out because they're expecting to see a murdered body of Jesus. Just a few days before, they were there. They saw it. They experienced They know exactly what condition Jesus was in. They're walking in expecting to see the crucified body of Jesus laying there, but he's not there. Instead, there's this man in white robe sitting to the right, which, of course, we know anytime we see this man in white robes, that's, that, that's telling us that there's an angel there. This word alarmed, it doesn't just mean freaked out. What it means is it means deep fear and distress. The Greek word means great fear. It means it's the same word. Listen, it's the same word that when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Jesus prayed in the garden before he was arrested. He prayed until he sweat drops of blood. He prayed and said, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But amazingly, he came to this point where he said, not my will, but yours, Father. That word, that distress, is the exact same word as what these women are experiencing when they see this angel. And this angel says, listen, you need to not be afraid because they were afraid. That's what people always experience. When we see an angel, sometimes, unfortunately, we think what pop culture has created angels to be. We think of the painting above the fireplace with the chubby little baby with the wings. That's what we think when we think angel. Where it's almost like a pug. You want to grab their cheeks and do this, right? You want to kind of do that, but that's not a biblical angel. A biblical angel, when you see a biblical angel, this is God's mighty warrior, This is God's messenger. And so people are always in the Bible, they're always freaked out when they come face to face with an angel. They are astonished in that place. They are trembling in that place. That's why the angel says, do not be alarmed. That's what the angel says. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. I love that. The angel, it's almost humorous to me, almost. Like, the women are kind of freaking a little bit, and the angel says, listen, you're in the right place, just so you know. It's not like you meant to take a right, and you took a left, and you got lost about which tomb you're supposed to be at. Like, you're at the right tomb. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, but he's not here because he conquered death, just like he said he would. He has risen. He is alive. And the women are standing there, and then you know what the angel says? The angel says, listen, you need to go. You need to grab the disciples. They're hiding in a room right now. They're pretty scared. But you need to go and you need to tell them. The first evangelist were these women. They were the first evangelist. You need to go. You need to tell them because these 11 guys are going to be tasked with taking the message forward. They're going to go throughout the rest of Jerusalem. They're going to go to Judea. They're going to go to Samaria. They're going to go all the way to Western Europe, and they're going to meet this person named Lydia. And she's going to become a Christian right there in her house. She's going to be the first believer in Western Europe. And from there, the gospel is going to spread all the way to the shores of Western Europe, where people are going to get on boats. And from those boats, they're going to go to this new world that we call America. And from there, people will continue to be faithful with the gospel. And it's going to continue its westward expansion until it reaches Romeo, Michigan. And it all started with these women right here. The angel said, go tell the disciples. Go tell that doubting Thomas. Go tell John. Specifically, the angel said, tell Peter. 
That's another sermon for another day, and that's a beautiful story. But the angel said, go tell Peter. Don't miss it. Go tell him. And the Bible says that they were trembling. Do you see that? Trembling. The Greek word there is tromos. Tromos, it means they physically were shaking as they were standing. They, they, they were speechless. Their mouths were hanging open. The, the Bible says it uses this word ecstasis. Ecstasis. It literally means there was an ecstasy of the mind. They were flabbergasted in this moment. Spurgeon is this famous theologian. I love how he puts it. He says, this is the event that made angels sing. This is the event that made angels sing. But these women were overwhelmed. They were silenced. They were struck speechless. And over and over and over, Mark says, here's who Jesus is. Now what are you going to do with him? I guess that's my question for you. You hear truth today. Jesus is the one who conquered Satan. He defeated sin on the cross. And he defeated death at the tomb. So what do you do with that truth? What are you going to do with that truth? I ask because there's a day where God will look at Jesus and give the nod and say it's time. And Jesus will return, church. He will come back. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is a day coming where we will all recognize him for who he is. But I don't want you to miss it today. I don't want you to miss truth today. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know what that means? It means that you're going along through life. And maybe you are overwhelmed because of the large stones that are in your way. Maybe you are overwhelmed because of doubt. Maybe you are overwhelmed because, because of guilt. Maybe you are overwhelmed because of shame. Maybe you are overwhelmed because you're like, I just don't know enough. Maybe you are overwhelmed with that place. Maybe it is that your sin in your life is just holding you hostage. Maybe it's holding you in bondage. There comes a place where you have to slam on the brakes and you got to stop. And you got to turn from that sin and you got to turn to Jesus. It's called repent. You turn from the sin and you turn to Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. I mentioned that over 20 years ago, I let him overthrow all of the large stones in my life. I was sitting in a place a lot like you are. Maybe for some of you having the same questions that you are. It's kind of hard because I'd gone to church a little bit growing up with grandma and grandpa. And I had heard before, I mean, I'd, I'd heard Jesus, the cross and the tomb and Easter bunnies, you know, so I'd heard some of the basics growing up, but I, I didn't really understand all of it. But I think I did here. I think right here, I kind of understood the basics of salvation, I understood it here, but church, there was no submission to the lordship of Jesus here. Can I say that again? Because maybe you missed it. I understood here what truth was, that God loved me, that I'm a sinner, that Jesus died for my sins. I knew that here, but there had been no surrender. There had been no submission in my heart to the lordship of Jesus. Man, if that's you, this can be your day. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Let's say that again, but instead of world, I want you to put your name there. Will you do that for me? For God so loved, I would say Billy. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him, trusts in him, clings to him, 
relies on him, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Mark says, what are you going to do with Jesus? Here's truth. Here's the good news. What do you do with Jesus? My encouragement is let Jesus be your salvation today. Church, let's bow our heads this morning. You know, we um, often talk about the reality of the crucifixion or the crown of thorns. We talk about the brutality of Good Friday, but you know what I think sometimes we miss? I think we miss that the most brutal part of all is as Jesus was on the cross, he was paying for the sins of the whole world in that moment. I think that's what we miss. Maybe like me, you would say, I, I know some of the head stuff, but I've never ever submitted to Jesus in my heart. The truth is God loves you. He does. He loves you. We have a problem, though. We have a sin problem. We're not perfect, are we? Stop measuring your life based off of are you better than your neighbor? Are you better than the person across your street? Are you better than that person on the news? And instead, measure your life against a backdrop of holy, because that's how we're measured. We're measured against perfection. If we set up a, a archery target, and I told you had to hit perfection every single day, I think we would all agree we don't hit that mark, do we? We do not hit perfection every single day, but that's what it takes for a right standing with God. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Death is an eternal separation. You want to hear the hard truth? Here's the hard truth. When I had a head knowledge of what it took, but there was no surrender in my life, I was bound for hell. I was bound to spend an eternity separated from a loving and a heavenly father because I was rejecting him. I may have known something, but there was no submission or surrender in my heart. Jesus came and he did what we couldn't do. He lived that perfect life. He paid for the sins of the entire world on the cross. And on the third day, he did conquer sin and death and Satan. And there's nothing you can do to be made right with God. It's faith and faith alone. And so if you've never done that, I just want to give you a place. In the silence of this room, just to say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Even though I've messed up, even though I haven't hit perfection, thank you for loving me. And God, I believe, I do, I believe that Jesus came and he lived a perfect and sinless life. I believe that he took my sin and the sins of the whole world on his back on the cross. And that day he conquered sin. He paid for my sin. And I believe, I believe that on the third day, he rose again. And so I'm placing my faith, my hope, and my trust in that truth. And Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. God, I need your power. I need your power to be more like Christ today. I need your power to be a better reflection of Jesus. But I thank you for a new life and a new chance. In Jesus' name I pray.
your, keep your heads bowed just for a moment. If that was you, I just, I just want, for a moment, I, I just want you to have a moment to say, I'm recognizing that that was me. For the first time, it wasn't about praying that prayer, but for the first time, I've opened my heart to the Lord. I gave my life to Jesus and his lordship today. If that's you, on the count of three, people are praying for you. I just want you on the count of three, just put your hand up right where you are. One, two, three. Hands straight up if that was you. God bless you. I see you. Guys down here, I see you. Right over there in the blue shirt. Yes, sir, I see you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for rolling away the stones in our lives. We thank you for new life. We thank you that there are new brothers and sisters in Christ, that right now their names are being written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand, that no one can snatch us from the palm of your hand. We thank you that the old is gone, that the new has come. We thank you for new life. We thank you for the celebration of a resurrected Christ. Lord, I pray that you take us as a church. You continue to remove the stones. You continue to shine your life in a way that continues to echo from generation to generation. Lord, we are your church. We are your people. And we are celebrating in your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I want you to stand to your feet. Today, we want to continue to celebrate a risen Savior.